Today we chat about a very relevant topic, and that is platform risk. Let's deploy. Hello and welcome to Push to Prod. I'm your co-host, Colt, and I work on UseLot, a tool to help SaaS companies build revenue through customer success. And I'm your co-host, Dan Miller. I'm building a SaaS for the first time and learning as I go. Each episode, we chat about all sorts of things to do with the world of starting, growing, and operating software businesses. Today, it's the 4th of July. Happy um, Independence Day, Americans. Um, and I'm feeling a little bit sore, Cole. I've actually hurt my back on the weekend. I'm sitting here uh, in my chair just thinking I'm feeling pretty sorry for myself. Better take it easy from now on and maybe let's not be too strenuous in the show today. How are you feeling? I'm, uh, well, I'm, I'm feeling uh, quite happy. I'm heading off to the warm sun tomorrow up in Cairns in Australia and I'm guessing that for you, um, Canberra's temperature is probably not helping the bad back either. Is that right? <laughs> Pretty envious of that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're heading up for four nights. So I'm going to be away till Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. I've never been up to Cairns and um, oh, nice. well, Cairns and then Port Douglas, but I guess for most people, they're pretty close. So yeah, it's going to be good. You'll love it. It's beautiful up there. They, you know, they don't, they don't talk about, you know, the paradise of the North for nothing. So yeah. I'll have to do a drive one day because... I've heard, you know, you don't realise how big Australia is until you, you sort of drive from Brisbane and you realise you're not even halfway. <laughs> if you get a chance, try and um, do a bit of snorkelling while you're up there. It's just amazing. You'll just think, wow. like Because in some locations, depending on how close the reef is, you can be off a little tinny and then jump off the side of it and all of a sudden you're floating over this beautiful coral. Um, the, the outer reef, that you know, that takes a fair while to get out to. You've got to go on one of the charter boats there. We're not going up to the, out to the reef this time, yeah. but I'd certainly um, – when – yeah, this, this probably is a good time to still do those things But because when's the stingers out? Is that more No, summer? you should be okay actually. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. more of a summer thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're not doing it this time, but, I mean, it's definitely – this is more exploratory and go to a uh, – uh, what do you call it, a um, resort, but we'll check Beautiful. it out and know where to go next time and probably do a longer trip. So this one's just a quick fly and nice. fly out and have a few days up there, but, yeah, we'll see yeah. how we go. Yeah, now, so what are we going to talk about then today? We thought we'd smash an episode out before we head off. Well, today I thought we'd have a chat about something that's been coming up quite a lot. It's been happening over and over and over again in the SaaS world and especially in the indie hacker world, indie maker world, and that is platform risk. And that's the idea about, you know, building your tool or your software or your service on top of somebody else's existing platform. So the question we're going to go through today is, is this a good thing? Can it help you? And are there risks involved? And what can go wrong? That's what we thought today. Yeah, no, that sounds really good and very topical given that uh, yeah, there's a lot of platforms that are changing what they do, I guess, and causing some, uh, causing a bit of uproar in the community. So I'm guessing that we'll cover some of that. Yeah. So yeah, on today's show, we're going to talk about some of those pros and cons, um, what it's like to set up, I guess, shop on someone else's lawn, so to speak. Um, yeah, I think I think it'd be good to cover sort of, you know, why it works, why you'd even sort of choose to do something like that. Um, and more importantly, I guess, what can go wrong <laughs> and how you're yeah. impacted if you're, you know, you choose to do that, which I guess in some form, most people are building on top of something. Um, but depending on how much you've built, you know, how big the platform is you've built it on, then I guess different risks. So, yeah, really interesting. I think really top topical for the indie community as well as just, you know, any type of startup. Um, and even if you're not, even if you're, you know, established or you're working in a big company, I think there's always, you know, these things that you decisions that you've got to come, come across, you know, when you're choosing what you use. So. Nice. Well, first up, let's ask the question, you know, what are we actually talking about here? What does it mean to build on top of a platform? And I guess the simple description, the way you could describe it is you 
there's say there's a big popular online platform that exists, you know, for example, Twitter or Notion or Shopify. And let, let's consider the ones that have millions of active users. People are in there getting value all day, every day. An online location as this is potentially quite attractive to someone else that is looking to build their own tech product or service. You know, after all, there's so many people that are concentrated in one place and that can certainly help with finding new users fast. Yeah, so like if you're, if you're building your own thing, you know, you're adding this extra piece of value on top of a major platform, people end up loving it and they start using it. And I guess they're getting more value than sort of just what the, you know, the sort of platform gives you. So it feels a lot easier, I think. Oh, you know, I've certainly done it to some extent with different tools and different, you know, consulting businesses and things, you know, building on Atlassian marketplaces and stuff like that. So I can see why you would do it and I can see the benefits. And I think, you know, there's heaps of examples of them as well, I think. Let's jump into some of the examples, hey? That, that, that way people who are listening can know a little bit more about what we're talking about. So over the years, people have built all sorts of tech products based on other platforms. You know, there's things such as scheduling and analytics tools for various social media platforms. Um, one that was really popular recently was Tony Din. Uh, he's one of these hackers online and he built his cool, cool tool called Black Magic. And that was an enhanced Twitter tool for pro users. You know, it provided superior analytics, increased engagements, uh, some sort of CRM that you could use. Um, it helped with the scheduling and publishing. And something similar is there's another Australian-based product builder. His name's Tim Bonetto, and he's built a tool called Pally. And um, that's, again, that's a feature-rich social media management and scheduling tool. And then um, there's the one that's been in the news <laughs> recently, <clears throat> which is Apollo, which is like a really popular um, Reddit client because, you know, Reddit's iOS client's used to suck i'm not even sure maybe they're better now but obviously it you know ran through some issues which we'll talk about later so there's another big example you've got um a lot of sort of website builders sort of note-taking apps that sit off tools such as notion we've got noah bragg's potion you know that creates custom notion websites in minutes based on your notes that you've got in notion um do you know any others there dan yeah there's another notion website builder just like potion it was called super and that was by james Traff pretty popular builder james is yeah and then and then i think overall you've got like um so you've got these tools that sit on top of you know they're, they're extra value adds that are sort of separate in a way but they run off the data or the you know the the underlying really is the data and the and the users that exist on these other platforms um but obviously historically there's been huge uh examples of marketplaces and things by the big SaaS vendors, you know, especially Salesforce with their app market or app exchange, whatever it's called, you know, Apple, obviously, you know, Atlassian, I don't think Atlassian would have been here if it wasn't for its marketplace and That's the right, amount yeah. of pl uh, plugins and stuff that was built on top of that. And then more recently, you're seeing a really big push in the HubSpot space um, with companies that are either a hundred percent running on HubSpot or as we talk about later, gradually moving off it, but obviously started on these marketplaces. So why would you do it? I mean, what, what do you reckon? What are some of the pros of people doing that? Some, I can see some straight away. The first one that's obvious to me is that there's just a massive market of potential users there. You know, if you're looking at something like Twitter, there's how many hundreds of millions of people using it every single day. And so if you can get a really small slice of that and those potential users on that platform, bang, you've got a massive potential base for you starting up your own product right that's one thing for sure no absolutely i think it's one of the biggest and the one that you know i think you if you're serious about indie hacking and, and bootstrapping a product you have to really consider this because one of the things that i think most people would agree 
is sort of that the challenge to get top of funnel, like people in the top of funnel. And if you're trying to do that through you know, SEO and um, you know, just websites through Google. When you say when you say top of funnel, what do you mean? Like just in case people haven't don't know. I guess getting people in uh, that have no previous knowledge, so cold traffic, you know, people who do not know about you um, and then suddenly have discovered you and then obviously that's the top of funnel. Over time, the more touch points you have with those people, that ends up being sort of a middle funnel and at some point, you know, they, they've contacted you, they've trialled your product, you can get them in and hopefully try and, you know, convert them to a paid subscription. Uh, you know, I think 20 years ago on Google you could just put up, you could find a good niche, use SEO and within, you know, weeks to months to whatever, you could be driving traffic to your website through blogs and articles and stuff. And these days that's just so hard because you go to Google, if you type in anything, probably half, I'd imagine the whole page is paid ads. <laughs> when do you ever see an organic link at the top in Google anymore? Like it just doesn't exist. So it's true. Um, these marketplaces, even if, and I wouldn't even call Twitter a marketplace, but these, these places that already have so many users already there, and it's almost like I'd rather, yeah, it's a good thing to not rather, but it's a good thing to try and attempt to use that product's marketplace and SEO, so to speak, rather than try and take on the, the whole world, you know. And so that's why I think it's, it's worth looking at and it's a massive benefit. You know, obviously there's other benefits, but I think that's one of the, the good yeah. ways and why you'd even choose it in the first place. True. Another one I reckon would be just simplification. You know, if you're building something on top of someone else's platform and all that your thing does is one or two things really well compared to what the big platform does, then you don't really need to do much else. You know, the thing that you build doesn't need to be all that complex. And from that, you'll end up with things like quicker time from your idea to market and getting it into a usable product in people's hands and then hopefully paying customers. So it's like much faster and much easier just to build something that's another potential pro yeah yeah well remember like was it the other week you were saying you were and it's fine you were building stripe payment was that last week we were talking about yeah, that yeah. yeah um yeah. you know you go into some of these products and they've got that entire you know you don't even need to worry about like you plug in there might be one xml line or something that says yeah it's a paid plug-in and then bang suddenly yeah you know you can take payments yeah like um so you know like the app marketplace on apple you don't have to worry about anything you plug it in and you get paid, yeah, I'll beat, I'll beat 70% or whatever. Yeah, but, that's right. You know, um, that's, a, that's still a huge, like you said, time saver. And if you're not having to build that, you can add this value to the user. You do others. You can do, uh, you know, those, those scheduling tools that we talked about earlier, those examples, they're really simple. They do one thing and one thing well. They help you schedule posts. There's other ones you can, um, you know, you can build plugins and extensions for Chrome that do certain things in the Chrome web browser. Again, there'll be small little one or two things, um, very quick to build, easy to get something out there. And there's lots of examples, uh, Chrome specifically, where people are actually making some quite, and like, it's not a lot of money, but it's fast. Like it's been really quick to at least get some MRI happening. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, it's potentially a good initial attempt for the first time or early career founder it can be fun to actually build on these other platforms. You know, there's likely to be a good crowd of people that are willing to cheer you on. Uh, for example, the guy that I mentioned earlier, Tony Din. Now, he, he had this self-perpetuating feedback loop that was happening. He built this tool for Twitter and the users of his tool actually got a bit of exposure themselves by using his tool. So therefore, they were sitting there shouting out, you know, on the top of the mountains, hey, check out this cool tool. And 
uh, the feedback loop virality just kicked loop. into gear yeah. and he had this, you know, viral virality loop going in. So it was fun for Tony. He built it. He got an awesome following. Um, yeah, lots of people got in there. And, and I reckon for other people who are just starting out in their careers, that certainly wasn't Tony's first product, that's for sure. He was very much a seasoned professional at that point. But for others who, um, you know, are just giving it a go for the first time, it can be a bit of fun. You can, you know... There's a lot lot for you to find out. There's probably a lot of online tutorials which where people show you what to do and how to do it. Yeah, you know, it can be enjoyable, yeah. And depending on, you know, there's a difference here and we'll probably go into a little bit, like when you're talking about like an app marketplace sitting on top of a particular product that is a productivity tool like, you know, Salesforce, Jira, HubSpot, Pipedrive, I mean, they've all got marketplaces. Um, that's, you know, they've got a huge incentive to make sure that they're, helping you succeed you know that, that might be a little bit different to you know trying to build a reddit or a twitter or like connections or something that's historically not yeah even linkedin those type of tools where they're not so open to the developer because they own all that information so there is a big there's probably a massive difference between those sort of i don't know how you describe them but two different things that's a good point yeah there's there's either you going it alone and building your own stuff by yourself and then launching it to the world by yourself and then there's also some of these big platforms actually create themselves a marketplace where they invite you to actually build something and then offer it up for sale within their marketplace. Yeah. And then they love you doing that sort of thing. Yeah. And it, it adds value. Like, uh, like, and they can be quite luc- lucrative, obviously. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, I think we, uh, <laughs> you wrote this one down, but I, I totally was going to add it down the bottom. But in the early days of Atlassian, and there, um, they didn't do any agile stuff. You know, that was all provided by Greenhopper. Um, mm. Yeah, which was the actual Kanban board, Jira board. Eventually they got acquired and over time that product got rewritten totally and got rid of and turned into what you know as Jira now. But, I mean, those those type of niche solutions inside these existing vended marketplaces are really interesting. It's actually something that at Uselot we've thought about. It's like if we, if we keep butting heads against the big incumbents, is there a way to just go into one of these other tools and just add parts of the CS platform oh, yeah, into those cool. tools. Ironically, that's actually where our biggest competitor came from as far as I know. They actually were inside Salesforce initially and then went out. So I don't know if that's true, but that's what I heard. So interesting, um, yeah. Microsoft used to do it all the time. I can remember people would go and build some sort of well-integrated solution or product that was built around the Microsoft environment. And then if they started getting popular or well-known or um, – making a fair bit of money microsoft would just swoop in and make them an offer they just could not refuse and suddenly they just got you know um but what's it called yeah micro acquired or something <laughs> what's, what's the what's the word when when the borg come and put oh, assimilated they got assimilated yeah, by the yeah, borg you get assimilated, yeah. <laughs> and back then it was probably that that's probably what it felt like too in microsoft land it probably is not like that anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's all, but also at the smaller end of town as well, like you can still be lucrative. You can, when you said micro acquire before, that just prompted me to think lots and lots of people are out there these days building, you know, platform based solutions and then offering them up for sale via one of the sales marketplaces like micro acquire. Noah Bragg, that you mentioned earlier, who ran Potion, he built that up to 6,000 MRR. He did really well. And then he just sold it for $350,000. Just, you know, you know, amazing results. So you, you can actually do some real lucrative things by building on top of other people's platforms for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think, um, you know, before we go into the cons, just to wrap that up, like, um, yeah, I think it's almost one of, it's almost, to me, it's almost one of the recommended things, you know, like if you're starting out and you're starting out, you you should really consider um, why you wouldn't build on a platform. Do you know what I mean? Like, because it, it just adds so much value in terms of market 
mm. um, support potentially if it's one of these ones that you're building a plug-in. And like you said, you sort of said it before, like exposure to the whole, you know, first time founder, first time, you know, early in this career, it's, it's an easy way to get the support that you need and not just do everything yourself. There's cons to it as well, <laughs> which, which is probably why we brought up this topic. Cause yeah, it's, it's a bit it's, it's, I mean, I, I don't want to dispel the, um, you know, the positive there. And, and like I said before, like there actually are some huge positive. One of the things we, we did mention are that you can actually help build your own audience, um, by building on these platforms. Um, and you can't discount that because that can actually take you a long way in your career when you're, when you're building software systems and you're building products to sell in the market. Yeah. But the, the cons, you're right, Cole, this is what got me. And I'm questioning all the time. I'm seeing so much change at the moment and it's making me think, is this dangerous? I think um, it's always been dangerous, um, but I think maybe it's been turned up, maybe not to 11, but because of the environment and focus on revenue companies now have to actually demonstrate that they're profitable and they can't just keep running from segment, you know, series A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, whatever. And so yeah. one of the easy ways to crank out a bit more revenue potentially is to start, you know, either charging for what you actually, you know, you've got all these people basically living off you. Can I start charging for that? It's causing a lot of these, you know, yeah. issues we're seeing. So very topical. This is the main gist of what we're talking here today. And what is platform risk? So when we say platform risk, that that's when we say whenever whenever there's a change in the way that the platform that you've built on moderates its activity or it changes the way it works and you, your, um, your product can no longer exist in the way it used to. That's platform risk. They can basically come along and do something, change something, and before you know it, overnight, your business ceases to exist. That is a massive, and it, like, you know, depending on what your goals here, if your goal is to, to grow it and get acquired or whatever, I mean, they're, they're going to look, people are going to look straight at that and go, well, you know, if, if I can't control every, as much as possible everything about my business, um, then that's a real danger. That's the that's the extreme side of it. There are sort of less extreme versions of platform risk. You, you know, you can be impacted in certain ways and maybe it doesn't shut down your entire business. So let's have a look at through some of those, shall we? I think the first one would be losing your audience. If you've built your product on top of another platform and then suddenly the way that the platform works or the policies that they have changed, they could make it so that you lose access to your audience. Um, and that that's that's pretty dangerous you know your content no longer reaches the same number of people that it used to uh, in the, and the people that were previously interested in hearing more from you they just don't hear about you they don't see they don't know about you anymore in worst case they could boot you off altogether and you might have to start all over again on some other platform yeah yeah and <clears throat> you saw this with um even google like that's still an issue and like i think every business you know, unless they are fully built off another product platform that I have to worry about it but most companies are going to have some form of wanting to have a website and drive stuff and you know you you get these uh you know google seo algorithm updates you know that you know they they people give them certain names and things can change overnight suddenly your ranking can go from you know first page to a third page or maybe google started to add in more paid ads on top of it now yours isn't on the first page i mean so even something as simple as well i'm not platform risk because i've built this product independently of everything at the end of the day there's some of these big things like google that are just i guess always there and so yeah it doesn't matter it's almost like you're always at risk slightly um and you have to even if you think you're not because you, i haven't built it off anything if you're just on google have a think about well how can my traffic come in how am i getting traffic to this site through google and what do i need to worry about because if google changes something 
I might lose that. That's a good point you're talking about there is like one of your sales channels or your distribution channels. Um, if that's the way that you're using to actually sell or get people get known about your product and if that changes, you know, you're basically putting all your eggs in one basket there and you could get pretty, pretty big, hit pretty hard actually on it. So another example would be say you're building some sort of um, product that does checkout baskets, shopping, you know, online retail, shopping, checkout baskets, services for that. And you're only focusing on say Shopify. Well, if something happens with Shopify and that's your distribution channel for, you know, finding out people finding out about your product, you know, you're going to get hit pretty hard. So maybe you want to think about how you can actually broaden and spread that risk out onto various other e-commerce platforms as an, in that example. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, again, it's sort of that funnel concept of like trying to be in control of it as much as possible and saying, well, I'm just not letting it go organically come through this thing. As I'm getting them in, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do re outreach through multiple channels and make sure that I'm protecting myself. Even though, yes, 90% of my channels are coming through Shopify Marketplace, Google Play Store. If I if that turned off, I could still reach whatever, you know, some percentage of cold, warm traffic all the time. Um, mm, so mm. I'm not, you know, I'm minimising it. That's what this is about, isn't it? It's minimising it. You can't get rid of it totally. Yeah. Another one that hits us is the moderation risk. And that's when, when I say moderation there, I mean the owners of the platform who set the rules and the policies, they make changes. So they can change things like the algorithm and how it works on their platform. They can change the policies and rules to say your activity, which was previously okay, starts to be frowned upon. And they, they just sort of say, we need to reduce the way you're doing that activity on our platform now, or sorry, you can't do that anymore. Um, some big changes about that recently that we've seen. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not even all on top of this, but I did, um, like it flew, came through my Twitter timeline what, two days ago or whatever with this rate limit change, you know. And What was that? Rate limit of what? Yeah, so just basically viewing tweets on the platform. Like did you oh, even know Twitter. this? Or yeah, yeah, that was that, that's just out of the blue, out didn't of the blue. it? Yeah. yeah, so then you've got these people who are, you know, if you're not verified, suddenly can only see 600 posts. Like, mm. and so if you're a scroller, if you're scrolling Overnight. through, bang, you're getting this pop-up saying you've, you've hit your limit. And it's like, it's crazy that something like, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say crazy because I don't know all the facts, but um, to think about something like a social network, which is supposed to try and, you know, get as many out, like people looking at posts as possible to think that they're, I guess, interfering with non uh, AI, you know, they're worrying about bots here. That's why they're yeah. doing it. But at the end of yeah. the day, you obviously got something wrong if you're getting normal people scrolling and hitting these limits. You're like, man, what is happening? And if you've built a tool that's, you know, trying to consume that, which again, okay, maybe that's against Twitter's policy and that's why they're putting it in, um, huge platform risk. They could just turn that on overnight, which they did, um, and just caused, yeah, a shitstorm. <laughs> True. What else we got there in risk? We got duplication risk. So that's when you've built something and then the platform just says, you know what? We're going to do it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so you see this a fair bit. Yeah. Yeah. What's an example? I, I haven't seen one recently. Well, um, yes, yeah, so I know Shopify, like I don't know the actual specifics, but sort of going back to your um, your discussion about checkout features, you know, like some of these uh, additional checkout features, which, which did the cross-sell, upsell stuff um, and allowed people to suggest, you know, You've, you've bought this, maybe you'd like this, that they were building a lot of that stuff. And then obviously Shopify came along and added that. And suddenly you're like, oh, like that's, you know, because at the end of the day, when you, this is so common because when you're adding things into uh, a platform like that, 
um, you're usually doing it because of some gap, you know, that the platform's doing. And it's obviously once the platform's filled out feature complete, they're going to start looking at all these other little low-hanging fruits and often that happens. In the Atlassian ecosystem, it happened a lot. Most of the time, Atlassian were good to give them a very big heads up or do a, an acquisition, you know, obviously things like Greenhopper and stuff is a proper acquisition but even if it wasn't they might say hey we're gonna I, I can't even remember the specifics but there was a couple of uh, plugins that were actually bought but never used because then Atlassian went and put the the actual feature in themselves but at least they you know I'm sure there's uh conditions here that didn't go this way but it, most of the time they were trying to at least protect the vendor a bit and say hey sorry we are adding that you are gonna you know we're basically shutting your business down doing it but here's you know a little bit of a Okay. Pay your heads up and a bit of money for it. So interesting. But, yeah. You know, you need to watch that. You know, um, speak. Someone who did that really well watching that is Noah Bragg. When he when he made Potion, I was listening to his um his um product journey podcast quite a bit, and um he mentioned a few times that he did contact um, Notion and he said to them, "Look, I've built this tool. I'm building this tool. You know, it's a website builder that people can use on top of your thing. Are you guys by any chance thinking of building your own thing?" And they, they, they were honest with him and they said, no, look, we, we like what you guys are doing. There was, um, you know, there was, I mentioned that other one, there's Super as well. And they said, they were honest. They said, no, we're not planning on doing it. Keep going. You, you're basically improving our ecosystem by doing it. So have fun. So Noah was smart. He got in there early. He checked what his risks were and he, he mitigated that by actually finding out that everything would be okay and he could keep going. So smart move there. Yeah. And again, it's part of these things you look for when you're building on a platform, you know, I wouldn't build on a platform that's not massively developer friendly because I feel like that's when yeah. they would tend to do that thing. Yeah. Um, not, you know, I don't build on Shopify, but from what I know of, it doesn't feel like they're massively developer friendly. You see a lot of backlash. I'm not sure if that's just what True. I've, I could be the circles I'm in, but. What about the risk of just the platform going out of existence or actually never getting popular at all? So that that's definitely one. Who can remember Google Plus. Do you remember that? <laughs> I remember. I don't remember much what was built on it, but yeah, I do remember. I it's mean, gone. how many stabs did Google take? I mean, they're still probably yeah, yeah. trying to take stabs in that area, but yeah. There was uh, there was also Vine, hugely popular for a while. That you know, there was that little short video snippet thing, and then gone, disappeared. It doesn't exist. Was Vine the one that was bought by Twitter? Probably. I can't remember. Yeah. And then I think Elon might have. If it was them, I might be wrong here, but I think Elon was even trying to. I guess. Not bring Vine specifically back, but bring some of that back into Twitter when he bought it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're thinking of building something on TikTok, mate, you probably want to be thinking hard about that one because there's all sorts of chatter around the around the globe at the moment with governments potentially banning it. And you know, even some sectors sort of saying, like schools, for example, saying, no, nah, no TikTok here. I think there's even a few states currently that have banned it in the States. Because, you yeah. know, the US have been trying to get this done and ban it. Um, yeah. And I think some states have gone ahead and done it. Now, obviously, the, you know, the technical, technical challenge and reality of actually doing that is a totally different thing. But Yeah, that's right. There you go. And then there's maybe not existence, but just not non-growth. And if you think about those two examples that we thought talked about before, Shopify and Magento, Shopify's got the lion's share of the market and Magento's only got a real small snippet of that and hasn't really taken off. So if you were one of the people that were putting all your you know all your eggs into the magento basket yeah that was a bit of a risk and it probably hasn't played out well for you so yeah that can happen sort of similar it's not well, i guess it's not shut down but you know going back to that reddit example too where they just pulled the plug um i guess it's sort of we'll probably get onto this because it's more financial but yeah the fact that they haven't actually shut down the 
platform, but they've shut down access. You know, it's just like, wow, <laughs> overnight you've gone. The next one, I guess, is the the main one is the killer. And, and that's, you know, if we're building these products to actually earn a living from and suddenly your revenue stream disappears, that's a big risk. Financial risk is a big one. So some of the examples there I've picked up, um, there was one years ago, there was a interesting entrepreneur. His name was CJ Gustafon and he um, made this cool thing. It was a last minute tour and activity product. You, um, it was, you know, you basically sort of say, oh, I'm heading off to this new state um, or this new location. I have never been there before. I'll be there tomorrow. What can I do while I'm there? And that um, he went and spent, I don't know, $200,000 of his own money building this thing. It was a great idea, but he was 100% dependent on other people's data. So he, he needed information from store management systems and, you know, other providers. And it just, he wasn't able to get it. So he lost a lot of money building that. That was a, a financial risk where the investment didn't pay off. Uh, another example of why you can lose money is um, is if you're actually earning a living and you're earning decent money and then something changes on the platform. Who, can you remember uh, Zynga? Zynga was the maker. They, they made all sorts of popular games on Facebook, didn't they? Yeah, they were the guys throwing sheep around, wasn't it, as well? Uh, uh, interestingly, um, I never actually played their games, but I actually did... Uh, I rolled out, helped rolled out their Atlassian suite internally in their Zynga. office. Yeah, like so... Oh, cool. I was there... Um, I didn't work from there, but we visited when I had to go over there and went to their one of their massive offices in, you know, down in the Mar- Mission yeah. or wherever it was. And um, when it was expanding too, it was in that growth phase and, the, the, you know, they just got this new office and there was like floors empty, like the yeah. desks ready to bring people in. And then I feel like it was not long after, like maybe a year or two after that, they were <laughs> disappearing. Yeah, so what happened there? They, they were making an absolute fortune off Farmville, that little product. It was such a cool game. I never played it, but I heard so many people telling me about it. And, um, you know, it would, it would show up in people's news feeds on Facebook all the time. And that's how it made its money. And then Zuckerberg turned around and he said, you know what, we're going to change a few of the settings and algorithms in Facebook. And suddenly Farmville just disappeared from people's feeds. They just never heard about it. Uh, what's some other examples? You, you might end up needing to pay to play on the platform. And this is, this is really topical. Yeah. This is, this is what's going on. This is what sort of prompted us to talk about this topic today. Two examples here. We'll go into the first one, Twitter, and then we'll go into the second one, Reddit. It's happening in two locations all at once. The first one, Twitter recently, over the last few weeks and months now, they increased its costs of accessing the Twitter API to $42,000 a month. <laughs> that literally just killed businesses overnight. Yeah, I, I love it destroyed the funny them. thing to me there, Dan, is, is it's not so much the forty two grand, which it is ridiculous, but it's the fact that it, it's, it's $100. <laughs> And then goes to forty two. That's right. You can for a hundred dollars you can access your own data, and for forty two thousand dollars you can access other people's data. That was just like a massive <laughs> that, jump. Yeah. That was that was definitely um, you know Twitter just saying we need a way to monetize this platform. Um, we are we know we're the world's most po- one of the world's most popular social media platforms, and if you want to join us, you need to pay for it. And everyone else who had already previously built these businesses on top of Twitter gone overnight, literally. Foof, disappeared it was a shame it's actually been interesting you see the ones that have survived because like i see um you know i mean obviously you mentioned uh so did you mention black magic did you they had yeah, yeah oh okay. that was a shame he, he he was devastated and i don't blame him oh, he was no, doing totally. so well he was he was like riding the peak of his popularity his growth curves were heading up and to the right and then cliff drop off and then you see others that i mean i've been using like i use hype fury myself and i i didn't think that was that 
big, but it's obviously surviving. So it sort of gives you an idea of people's – if they're actually surviving, you start realising how big some of these company or products are if they're able True. to pay 42 grand a month for API True. access. Jeez. Yeah. But what's what's going on over in Reddit? There's yeah. another similar thing there, right? Yeah. So I don't know um, where it's up to as of today, but I did know that obviously they started to charge, um, you know, for accessing their API again. It basically, like it ended up going um, – the example that I've seen is that Apollo, which is, the, like I said, one of the largest, the best iOS app to access Reddit, would end up costing $20 million um, to just Whoa. pay for that before they even Whoa. paid a profit. And so the interesting thing there that sort of led from that was them threatening to, well, they, they ended up having to say they're going to shut down. Yeah. Um, so therefore all the Reddit groups, they basically started a big, I guess, um, backlash, you know, that because all these moderators own access to the admin rights and all these Reddits, subreddits, mm. Mm. Uh, and then they just took them offline. So look, massive, huge ones, you know, like um, that have so many people going to them were just not available. They just switched them over to private and in a way to try and drive traffic back down and cause issues for Reddit. You go, you go to their website now, it says, Apollo shut down on June 30th, 2023 due to Reddit making drastic and sudden increases to API pricing for developers. I loved building Apollo for the last nine years and it has been the journey and dream of a lifetime. I'm sad that the journey has ended, but I thank you so much for the support over the years and I feel truly fortunate for so many people who are able to enjoy Apollo. I mean, it's just devastating for the guy, hey? Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you'd sort of, this is where, like I, like I get making business decisions. Like I get, like I think companies should make money. Like even Reddit, like I'm assuming these big companies, they're a lot of them up until recently have been running on negative, you know, not like just worrying about valuations and yeah, yeah, it's all cool. Mm. We can burn money. So I totally get that they're having to swing around, but to, um, it doesn't feel like you would have had to do a lot of work to, to discover which major people you're going to affect and at least try and sort them out. Like, I don't think there'd be millions. There'd just be, you know, dozens, if not tens of dozens of companies that you probably should work yep. with even twitter the yeah. same thing like just otherwise it's just the negative backlash i don't know why they do it <laughs> anyway <laughs> that's me but one of the things i thought we'd get into now is just some of the less obvious sources of platform risk i mean the ones we talked about were the real obvious ones you're building something on top of something it's a product which serves another product but some of the things you might not really think about but you might want to is um Maybe if you're using other services for the back end of your SaaS that you're building, for example, you know, in episode seven, we talked about platform as a service and in episode 10, we talked about functions as a service. You know, this can create some sort of vendor lock-in, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Like, and obviously you've got, you know, we talked a bit about that too. Like have you built it all off um, in the FAS episode, like is it all AWS stuff? So if something's changing, their pricing mm. changes, um, you know, it's not hard. It's not as easy to just switch over to a different cloud provider. Um, but it can also be quite subtle. Like it might not be the full platform, but it might be um, like SendGrid. Let's use that as an example, like an email sending tool yeah. that you would use for inbound and like outbound and inbound. It's so popular that it changes its pricing around a lot and has issues and things. And suddenly if that screws up, there goes your, your app's suddenly not communicating through email, which is obviously a massive Mm. you know, risk. And are you going to go and build, are you going to over-engineer the products or connect, you know, connect into three different mail sending systems? Like it's all the, like these are the challenges when you're, uh, even if you're not choosing to build on a product, if you're just building a SaaS that you have to think about. I think it's actually quite key to be honest. Like I, 
you know, I think it's really important to have a look at those. I don't believe you should build everything yourself. So I think you should pick, you know, these major infrastructure things. But yeah, yep. you really need to look at them and have a bit of an idea that if something screws up, how can I, you know, with little engineering, move it to something else without over engineering my product at the same time? Yeah, good call. Because like we said, you know, they can have outages which can impact you and you need to think about how you're going to deal with that situation. Um, I think another way it can possibly hit you, even if you're not just building a tool and using a tool inside your SaaS, you could still be consuming and using somebody else's SaaS tool for your operations. For example, we use Atlassian's Jira um, for, for running Trade Guardian. You know, if something goes wrong there, we're out for the day and we obviously use a lot of the other major accounting software packages like myab uh zero you know those things whenever they have outages that's it that hits our staff yeah and not even outages again changes to policies pricing like atlassian obviously have gone through a massive shift from server to data center slash into cloud now and you know they're shut up up until you know a few years ago if you were looking at the news atlassian announcing they're shutting their server um system right. off now for those yeah. who don't know servers like the behind the firewalls you could download jira run it on your own server um obviously atlassian wanted to move to cloud which is what everyone does monday.com you know all their other competitors asana things like that they had to make that very i think correct decision to do yeah. that mm. but that's a mass and i'm still you know i don't do this as a living anymore but i'm I'll tell you, I'm currently still working with a very large U.S. company that is having to move to cloud by next February. Otherwise, mm. and when when we're talking about we're talking six hundred thousand dollar licenses, and yeah, you know, it's it's, it's mega. a lot. Yep. you know, and that's the thing. Once you end up using something like for a while, something like these tools for a while, that way of working tends to stick in the organization. You know, mm. you can't just turn around and say to your staff, "Oh, sorry, we're moving something else anymore," because they've They've built up the way of working. They've built up their processes. Things are stable. They're ingrained and everyone actually likes it. <laughs> and then it's really hard to move off of that situation. So you've got to be careful. That's another form of platform risk, hey? Um, and even DNS and when you get right into the guts of your system, like we had an outage years ago with Social Pinpoint because we were on a fairly decent DNS provider. We thought like our root DNS, our root domains, you know, um, and it, it was a Canadian one and it went down for like, I don't know, 18 hours or something. And we, yeah, and and we had a lot of... scratching your head. <laughs> like even that, it's like, it's, this is the domain, like this is our actual domain name. How can that yeah. go down? And it did. <laughs> it's yeah, it's like, amazing. It's, so it many things can anywhere. go wrong. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I mentioned this before, but one of the other, it's not so much a risk, but I saw it is in a way, I think, I'll just mention again, sort of like if you are building on something or choosing a tool like Sangrid or whatever, um, looking at that development, infrastructure and their support as well as the ecosystem around it you know i think um that sh that gives you a really good uh, foresight as to whether or not a it's active and it's not going to fall over as well as can i get help if something does and i think that's something that you know is very you know, worth looking at which uh if you don't take into account you know can really bite you in the butt later on you know um a question what do you think about all the people that are building AI products at the moment, Cole, you know, which are effectively just user interface wrappers over the top of some other companies' AI systems like um, yeah, specialized <laughs> systems that just use chat GPT behind the scenes. What do you think of that? Well, look, I think, uh, again, it probably goes right back to that almost Zynga days where you start thinking, hey, there's probably a lot. I think if your goal is to, uh, you know, get in, 
get some experience, make some money, um, you know, have a bit of fun and all that. I think it's absolutely fine. If it's to build your 10-year, you know, future-proof product, I think that's a massive risk. And I think the mm. ones that will win are the people who don't just go, I'm going to build on OpenAI. They start looking at, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get some machines and learn how these work and build my own large language models and actually, mm. you know, future-proof myself through open source. I mean, I guess we didn't mention that a little bit here um, about mm. um, open source in itself is a bit of a platform risk, but the fact that it's open source, you know, these tools mitigate that somewhat in the sense that if something goes, you know, there's been, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, if there's examples where something has shut down and someone's ended up forking it in order to keep a version of it alive, you know, that type of thing. So at least, yeah, true. but it can happen where it just, um, you know, just totally effectively dies, even the open source product. And if you don't know yeah. enough about it, um, because it's not your expertise, hence why you <laughs> use that library in the first place. That's actually a really good point. Raising that one just made me think about the old. There was a there was a really famous outage that happened years and years ago in the um in the Node space. There's a um there's a way for you to use packages within your software products. Um, and there was one called LeftPad. And what LeftPad was, it was I think it was called LeftPad. Anyway, it was it was a way of like you know just handling text and and processing text. And then one day the owner of the um that package decided to just kill it. <laughs> Turns around, uh, just locks shuts it down. Uh, locks it up and makes sure it makes no one able to use it anymore. And before you know it, overnight, so many other packages across the entire environment relied on that one in particular, and they all crashed. And so the whole open source environment just fell apart like a you know a tower of cards. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So like uh, you know we we we're trained, and I think rightly so, trained to um, and promoted, and I I promote all the time. Do not build this stuff yourself. But at the same time, mm. be smart about it understand it's like one of those things it's like learn how the thing works but use don't write it yourself do you know what i mean like it. um don't treat it like a full black box but you know um yeah yeah so that that's pro probably comes to the conclusion i guess what we're talking about here today you know platform risk is and it it does exist and you've really got to think hard about it you can make lots of money from it you can have a bit of fun with it you can make a huge following from it um you can just enjoy yourself but at the same time there's a fair few things that can go wrong and, you know, my thoughts on it, um, going eyes wide open. Yeah, I was just saying, I was like, there's examples like I mean, I just wrote there before, like Balsamic and other companies that um, started out in marketplaces and stuff, but then transitioned to standalone products as their main offerings and things. So I think, again, as long as you're deliberate with anything, you know what you're doing and say, I'm going in, I'm building this. Yeah. It might be a three-year growth plan. Hopefully if these milestones get hit, we're going to, pivot this or we're at the same time we're going to start building our own infrastructure out and we're going to launch it off these other things um, yep. i think that's a really smart way to do because hey you get your market you get your funnel filled up with this other systems users but eventually you grow up and you're able to drive that yourself and you can get off those um you know those, those risky platforms so like i think just going wide is eyes wide open but yeah. with a plan, you know, know if your plan is to just go short and eventually die and that's fine, which is, again, fine. Maybe that's where ChatGPT is going with a lot of these things. Um, but if not, have a thinking, you know, is it 12 months, 24 months, whatever, how am I going to move off that um, and support a lot of this myself, you know? Yeah, cool. Nice way to look at it. Shout outs this week, Cole. I got a shout out to everyone who has responded to my Twitter poll. <laughs> I put out a poll that said, hey, SaaS builders, have you ever experienced platform risk? i.e. where some platform you've built on, used or integrated with or relied upon has changed somehow and caused you a problem. 
currently it's still going up five days less to go and um we've got 52.9 percent of people said yes platform risk has hit me Wow. And the other 40, 47.1% have said, no issues, it's all fine. Wow. <laughs> so, I, I don't know if I'm surprised for that or not now, actually, because it sounded like 50-something was a lot, but then I'm thinking 40-something people haven't yeah. experienced it, so maybe that's yeah. okay. I don't know. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? So, it, you know, it can be fine and it can smash you. That's one of the things you've got to consider. <laughs> At the moment, it's looking like close to 50-50. Yeah, look, um, yeah, that's all probably I have my, all my thoughts on it, uh, Dan. So another good episode there. Thanks for uh, suggesting it and putting it together. No worries, man. Well, folks, if you've got something you want to tell us about platform risk, if you've been experienced platform risk or if you're worried about it, you've got questions, hit us up. Go to Twitter and speak to us at push to pride pod and that's our handle at Twitter or I can be found at Mr. Dan Miller. And I'm at Gummo on Twitter. So, yeah, until next time, please leave us rating uh, if you'd like to hear anything else. We're obviously looking for more show and topic suggestions. Um, but until ne- next time, Dan, hopefully your back feels better and Thanks, I'm going to help my back by lying down in the sun and having a few cocktails. Uh, half your luck. And everyone else, I hope you just take care of yourselves out there. If you're building on a platform, look after yourself. Go in eyes wide open and, you know, have fun. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> take it easy. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye.